When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. And welcome everyone to Rock M Radio. Uh, beginning of a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. We've been here for six seasons now. This is the 30, 37th episode of Dive Cuts. Uh, we're here to talk about your Missouri basketball Tigers. I'm your host, Sam Snelling, uh, with you as always. Uh, and and back again, two times in a row, Matty J. Harris. Matt, how are you? Uh, I'm well. Uh, you know, we, we've been trying to go to the every other week recording schedule. And then the first time out that happens, uh, the fates just dump a whole lot of stuff Yeah, that we take off. So that's, they're like, oh, we'll get to summer and it'll be a little lighter. Nope, 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 nope. Last week was an eventful news week for Mizzou basketball. Uh, I, I, I kind of recapped everything for everybody that reads the site. Um, everybody that follows things on, on Twitter reads the site. You probably know uh, chronologically. Um, what happened was uh, Connor Vanover uh, committed to Missouri, thus uh, completing the Missouri roster, or so we thought. Um, and... Then on Tuesday, uh, Caleb Brown announced he was coming back to Missouri, taking his name out of the transfer portal, uh, thus uh, completing the Missouri basketball roster, or so we thought. Uh, And then Wednesday, uh, Isaiah Mosley tweeted that uh, he was going to uh, forego any remaining college eligibility and, and pursue professional options. Um, something that we always kind of knew was on the table, but uh, uh, there it was. Uh, and so there was all this news that just sort of flooded, and and we were sitting all there quietly at the end of the week. And then um, one of Missouri's top targets uh, in the 2024 recruiting class, John Bowl, decided he was going to uh, go ahead and commit quicker than the original plan, and he's going to the Florida Gators. Uh, so again, all the big men Gators, though, all of them. <laughs> yeah, all of them. I think I think right now, like the the Gators have like six dudes on the roster who are uh, who are post players, and and yeah, so uh, uh, Todd down there is just going to go for all the size. 
Um, but we're going to go chronologically here because I feel like that makes the most sense. Uh, we have already kind of spent some time talking about Connor Vanover, the potential impact that he could have, uh, our excitement levels for him. Um, if we all just believe in Evan Mia's BPR, then we're all very excited about Connor Vanover because he was, what, the 11th rated transfer in, in BPR? Yeah, uh, Connor Vanover uh, checked in at number 11. Um, just for reference, that was ahead slightly of uh, Micah Hamilton of Florida, uh, considered probably one of the best uh, undergraduate transfers to come out this year. He was a freshman at Marshall and transferred to Florida. Connor Vanover slightly ahead of him. And then probably a name that a lot of people are familiar with, Jamarian Sharp, about 10 or 12 spots ahead of Jamarian Sharp. So if you're looking for like a relative sort of, you know, gauge there, he was probably, you know, somewhere in that range. And I think probably like one of the, depending on how you want to use different metrics, probably between like the 10th and 15th best big man in the portal. Depending on which metric you want to use, do you want to use a recruiting service? Do you want to use Bart Torvik? Do you want to use Evan Maya? You know, what do you want to do? But 10th and 15th, if you sort all that is about where he is. So pick your favorite one. And that makes you feel the best about Connor Vanover committing to Missouri. I'm going to stick with Evan Mia. Cause that makes me feel the best. We just got the 11th best guy in the portal. M I Z. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, but we, we did have a discussion earlier today and I think it's worth, uh, worth bringing up. Um, basically like our, our faith in BPR. I, I, I really love, the um the approach uh the attempt yeah. uh and i think this is uh and i i do think that of all the analytics guys out there i, I think evan's attempt to quantify individual impact is the closest thing that we have uh to like an actual like analytics tool raw number that we can point to we can use as that sort of quantifier. And I, I don't think anybody else is quite doing it that way. And I appreciate him trying, but it's a really, really tough metric to, uh, mm, yeah. to, to quantify just through analytics. Yeah. The Bayesian performance rating is, is different, you know, just in terms of trying to account to for defense on that end of the floor. A lot of what we see is built through offensive impact because it's the most discrete sort of thing we have. We have the most data points about it. And just fundamentally, it's easier to measure offensive action than it is defensive action. Um, you know, every time I write about defensive metrics, I always say there's what the grade is, but it's really kind of squishy. And I really think with defense, you have to go to the film. And you really have to have that context there to, to sort of understand it. Because, you know, Connor Vanover, for example, is going to grade out pretty well on the defensive end of the floor. Whereas Grant Nelson another big, another really, really coveted big in the transfer portal from the same conference, played at North Dakota State, likely headed to Alabama, has about 60% of the value that Connor Vanover does. But you would look at their actual statistical output and you would say, you know, Grant Nelson wins in points. He wins in rebounds. The assist totals are pretty equal. You know, why is this guy so much better? But then you dig into the numbers and you see, you know, Grant Nelson's needing vastly more usage. Grant Nelson's not a great three-point shooter. 
Grant Nelson's, you know, assist turnover rate and his efficiency with the ball is not very good. But then the big thing that probably separates them is Grant Nelson grades out really poorly on defense, really, really poorly. But Grant Nelson is not playing, you know, in deep drop coverage, holding the back line. Grant Nelson will get out and guard in space. Grant Nelson will do different things and switch. So Grant Nelson, based on his role, what he's doing, and also for the sheer fact that high usage offensive guys tend to rest on defense because they are having to exert so much effort on the other end of the floor. How is BPR accounting for all that? Only Evan knows. He's, he's the one with the sauce there. But I think those are important considerations to keep in mind and something that I always come back to, and it's why when I look at portal guys, I weight different stuff. So I put Torvik in, and I'll put BPR in. I'll use pivot analysis, which looks at on-off impact. Like, when a guy is on the floor, what's the team's net rating? When he goes off, what happens? And if you put all that together, Connor still grades out really well. But Grant Nelson still grades out ahead of him. So when you really look at the impact metrics at the team level, Grant Nelson jumps ahead of him. And so I think that that's always something you've got to keep in mind. And it's really going to be interesting to see how BPR changes or what, you know, Evan does when he gets into the hood and really fiddles with the algorithm. But I, I think it, you know, I use it because I, you know, I want to have, I, I like you, I like the attempt. I like that we're trying to basically do a war kind of number, like above replacement level, a zero in BPR is not bad. That's average. And every number above that is better. Every number below it is. So it's it's an interesting attempt. But we got to just see what it does. Um, well, and I also think, you know, in, in complete fairness uh, to Evan, I, I feel like as he gets more data on this, it's gonna uh, and as, yeah, it's, it's going to get better. It's going to get more accurate. Um, you know, because he's also going to be able to sort of grade how players move up and down within leagues and, yeah. and how that impacts you know, and then we essentially like looking at what sort of role a guy is going to have as he, as he goes from one program to another. Uh, and I, I think like all these things are eventually going to be more quantifiable as we get more information on it. Um, it's just, yeah. you know, like it's, he's, he's made a really, really bold attempt. And I, I, I think it's it, overall, it's really very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, you know, but it's, it's not like, it's not it's, gospel. It's not right. Gospel. It's, not, it's not to the point where like people are going to use it the same way that they use Kempom. Right. But I, I think that gets into the Connor Vanover situation there because it depends on where you want to go to evaluate what Connor is. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just use BPR in a vacuum, you would think, oh man, Mizzou killed it. But then you would go look at the, you know, kind of what I always do is I always go back and isolate how guys played against Kempom top 100 teams particularly transfers, because 80% of the teams Missouri plays are top 100 teams. And, you know, once you really account for, you know, how Connor's played in about 60 or so of those games, he grades out like a role player. Offensive, defensive efficiencies are about what the D1 median are. Net rating is plus six. That's not bad, but it's median. Did in about 16 minutes per game, you know, 6.6 boards. You know, when you really look at him against teams that Missouri is going to see every night and you grade it out, and even if you like account for for the on-off impact rating, it's close to median. So I think that's something to consider here is as he jumps, 
you know, back from the number 24 league to one that's usually now in the top four or five, we should probably, you know, expect minutes to dip and we should probably expect touches to dip. And that's going to cause scoring to go down. The hope here is that Connor's going to be more efficient with the touches. I think that's the thing that people should hope for here is, you know, is he going to be able to maintain, you know, and max out, you know, the kind of spot up shots he got and the rim attempts he was getting at Oral Roberts? And is he going to be able to hold the line defensively? That to me is where it's going to come down to here. You know, ultimately it's a reserve guy and can he, you know, maintain sort of the efficiency that he played with at Oral Roberts. If you can do that, then you've got a really, really nice asset, you know, that's on the roster at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think overall, you and I both like to pick up, you know, I, at least at, at this point of yeah. the spring, knowing where, you know, the other, uh, what have, what has happened with the other options, like what was left. Uh, you know, I think we knew, the staff knew, everybody else who's paying attention knew there needed to be some kind of addition of size to the roster. Um, and I think overall, this is best case uh, scenario. Uh, clearly, was was you know getting Caden Shedrick. Um, but as far as like what the other options were, like I prefer Van over to you know Jimmy Bell. Um, yeah. So I, you know I'm I think Dennis uh, Gates missed on uh, his top target and they almost ended up with a guy who really didn't seem like he fit for what they were wanting mm-hmm. to do. And he ends up with a guy who kind of does. And I think when we're, we're, what we're expecting for Connor is probably, I mean, I would, I would be surprised if he averages more than 20 minutes a game. I think he's probably going to be in that, you know, 14 to 16 range. Um, you know, and I think that you, you have real value for a, a guy who can, who can do the things that Connor can do and play in that role. And, and you can still play the style of basketball that you want to play. Yeah. The other thing I think we have to factor in here is Arkansas fans aren't wrong. And, you know, people who follow Arkansas aren't wrong when they say Connor struggled at times down there. He did. Absolutely. There were a couple of good games, but by and large, long stretches where, you know, the fit was questionable. I think two things can be true. One, the play wasn't where you maybe would want to see it at the SEC level, but two was the system fit there. We've talked about that before. You know, when Connor first committed there, you know, Musk said all the right things about, oh, we like the fact that he can play in space. We like that he's a connector. We like that he can step out. By the time you get midway through his first year where he's actually playing in Fayetteville, Musk is very clearly saying, we need him to get down on the block and do things for us down there. We need him to finish plays down there. We need him to be that guy. So if the scheme fit wasn't there, you know, offensively for him, he's not going to be a guy that's going to bang around the post. And if you really, really crave a big who's going to get out and be able to play ice coverage or down ball screens, that's not Connor. So Musk went and played guys that could do that. That's not to say that Connor is a bad player. It's that he couldn't do the things that Musk wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Same thing comes in here is, and as we said before, What's he going to be asked to do defensively, and what's and how is that going to be accounted for in the system? We don't know. We've got to see it. But I think two things can be true. I think he can be a good fit for what Dennis wants to do, and he struggled at Arkansas, and there are valid reasons for that. But again, it always sort of comes back to scheme fit, role, expectations by all parties there. 
if everyone's on the same page here, I think he can be a useful asset for this team. But it's got to be, you know, accounted for, and everyone's got to sort of sync up for that. If it's not, then I think you could see this thing be a little bit rickety. But it's June. They've just been working out for a week. They're going to sort this all out before they get to install. So let's not damn it or, you know, praise it before we even get out of the out of the voluntary workout periods. Uh, next on the timeline is is uh, Caleb Brown, uh, younger brother to uh, Kobe. Uh, he entered the portal um, about a month ago, and I think we all kind of thought that, that was it for uh, Caleb's time at Missouri. Um, you know, signs at that point were that you know Missouri was uh, you know very happy to bring him back if they you know were teaming him up with his brother. I think that was always sort of the assumption, um, you know, was that, hey, like, we'll keep you around, like, as long as, as Kobe's around. Um, but if Kobe's not around, then, like, you know, we may need that spot for somebody else. Because uh, after two years, uh, Caleb has not really made an impact on the roster. We saw him get some extended minutes under Conzo Martin. Uh, he just he didn't look ready uh, on an already bad team, uh, and he had some uh, a, a couple spots um, this past year where he was kind of thrown in, and uh, and he's, I mean he's he, he's I don't think he's like a he's a a bad player, but he's not necessarily he just doesn't really give you much. Um, he doesn't shoot the ball very well. He does pass the ball well. He he. Mm, the turnovers uh, are high. Yeah, uh, he he does uh, he does anticipate the ball pretty well, and and he, you know he, he has uh, nabbed a few steals. But is this a guy who you see impacting your lineup? I mean, if you if you did, then you probably aren't bringing in John Tanji, uh, Tamar Bates, Caleb Grill. Oh. You know, trying to sign you know Caleb Love, Matthew Cleveland all guys who are going to play a lot in the backcourt, uh, yeah. you know, along with already having, you know, Sean East and, and Nick Honor, uh, and, and, and Robinson. Robinson. Yeah. So it's just that like the, the backcourt is crowded. Um, if Caleb wanted to grow to be six eleven, Hey, that'd be great. Like, yeah. you know, he's, he's got enough skill that he'd be a really good post player. Um, but I don't like, I do think that, his value to this particular team, and you can agree or disagree with me if you want, um, is going to be as a guy who you you know what you're going to get from him. He's he's a really good kid, just like uh, you know, like Kobe and, and Caleb both come from a great family. Um, everybody raves about you know how they interact with uh, the community and their teammates, and all that kind of stuff. So you you get somebody who understands uh, the team, the locker room, the community, and can help uh with that um and the rest of the roster uh as far as on the court impact i don't really see a lot yeah you know i it's i always try and hesitate here because i think they're you know these are people and you know we i you know i fall into the trap sometimes of evaluating them as pieces and not necessarily as people but i think you know it's that time of year where you really have to evaluate what you're going to get out of every spot um you know, Kobe, you know, we saw him grow and develop, but, you know, Kobe was playing 
30, 40 minutes as a freshman, was clearly, you know, a sixth or seventh guy in a rotation, you know, was, you know, took a step forward as a junior. Caleb's not in that situation. You know, Caleb, you know, got a late audition under Conzo when the season was pretty much forgone at that point. He got a lot, not a lot, but he got extended looks during the early part of the schedule last year with different looks. And it wasn't like they were putting him out there with, you know, mop-up time lineups. He was getting run time with real rotation pieces. And, you know, I rewatched the film. I cut the film. You know you know me. I'm always going to try and, you know, try and see a developmental pathway for someone. But the numbers in the film just weren't supporting that case. And so the question then became, okay, maybe he's not a fit for this level. Does he have to go find that opportunity? And I thought that's what he was doing, you know, was – Saying, okay, my brother's moving on. There's not a you know clear role for me here. I've, I've been recruited over by three or four guys. I'm going to go find minutes. Now, if you went into the portal and you genuinely looked for opportunities and you came out of that saying, I still want to be at Missouri. I still feel comfortable here. And the staff in exit meetings has made it pretty clear to you what life is going to look like here. And you've embraced that. And you want to come back then I'm fine with that because everyone's transparent about what their motives are, what their anticipations are. The expectations have been laid down. So if Caleb's going to come back and be, you know, a, a good culture guy, I think that has value. I really think it does. Uh, you know, you, as you've got newcomers coming in, you know, trying to build some chemistry and cohesion, you know, or maybe a little bit of continuity is missing. Having a guy who knows the institution, knows the program, knows everything else is really, really important. So if Caleb can contribute to that, then I'm fine with this. And I think there's, it's a healthy move and it can work out well for everybody. And if he can find a path to, you know, being a ninth to 10th guy on, you know, the roster, all the better for him. But we'll see how that's going to go because there's a lot of bodies in the backcourt right now that are going to, you know, want to put in tickets and slips for minutes. Just looking at the uh, the roster, I just good God, it up. If, if you if you include. Uh, if you include all the guys that are preferred walk-ons uh, already on campus and working out, that includes uh, uh, Jackson, uh, Francois, and uh, J.B. Brown, and Danny Stevens, um, somebody else in that list is not on an athletic scholarship. Uh, who it is, I don't. I don't pretend to know. Um, but and Bor Majak is still around. There he yeah, is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I've I've got I've got him on the uh, the list here too. So, um, Mavor Majak. Uh, yeah. So, Missouri is at eighteen guys on the roster, um, and you know five of those guys, you know, are are not on scholarship. Um, so the others, uh, yeah, like we we don't really know. It is a long list. Um, but if you're you're going up and down the list, so you know we're expecting uh, Noah Carter to kind of step up and have a larger role. You expect Caleb Grill to play a big role. Uh, you know, Sean Easton, Nick Honor, we're basically splitting minutes of the point guard. Probably expect that to happen. Uh, they did share the court together some, um, but most of the time they were, uh, you know, splitting those minutes. Um, you know, Tanji, I just think he's going to play a lot. Uh, Vanover, Tamar Bates is going to play a lot. Uh, you know, Kurt Lewis is a guy who we don't even talk about. Um, just like he's almost forgotten at this point. Uh, 
And yeah, you know, he's another like solid kind of role guy who who could play some spot minutes. Uh, we're hoping that Aiden Shaw takes a jump, and then you have the freshman. Um, so I just like if you're looking at that from, uh, you know, from a, a standpoint of is is Caleb Brown going to break into that rotation? I would say it's probably not very likely. You good with that? Uh, yeah. One thing that does clear it up, though, is is Isaiah Mosley not being around opens up a lot of minutes at the combo guard spot because a lot of theoretical uh, you know, minutes, as people are keen to remind me, a lot of theoretical <laughs> minutes. Yeah, so he is not on the roster, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna drop this out of the display now. Um, so yeah, so we're we're at a point now where. 18 guys in the roster. Mosley is not one of them. Um, him not coming back means that there are a lot of that sort of like spot. You know, he was really kind of like the two guard, you know? Yeah. Um, and a guy who could handle the ball, uh, a guy who could score efficiently, and he did. And Missouri is, is going to be up against it uh, as far as finding scoring next year. Uh, I think going into the spring, they had a, a a decent, we'll say, hope that they would be able to bring both Mosley and Kobe Brown back, uh, and now both are gone. So there is no real like standout alpha uh, on the players or on the uh, the roster, um, and a, you know a guy who can consume a lot of possessions. Um, one thing, you know, like I know that there are some people who think, oh, well, you know, maybe Tamar Bates can kind of step into that sort of role. But Tamar, really, even when he was a prospect, was not like a ball dominant, yeah. uh, you know, pitch him the ball and, and let him go make a play kind of score. No. Uh, you know, when he transferred to IMG, he was very much off the ball. How that, um, you know, how that trickles down and impacts the rest of the roster. Uh, I mean, basically, Missouri's and Dennis Gates is a good offensive coach. Uh, so, you know, we can trust in Dennis Gates to to figure that out. But they're going to have to find ways to score. Yeah. And Listen, without having that that closer. Yeah. This is this is how I would frame it. I love John Tanji. We love John Tanji. We think he's a really good pickup. Last year was John Tanji's first year you know, as a starter, like a legit starter at Colorado State after three years. But when Colorado State needed a bucket, you know who they threw the ball to? Isaiah Stevens. Isaiah Stevens was the guy that they said, clear out, let this guy go to work. Before that, over the previous couple of years, David Roddy was on that list. Maybe John Tanji is that guy. Maybe the opportunities just weren't there. But we've got four years showing us, that you know, the offense was not, you know, relying on him to be that sort of creative driver or that late clock option for them. You know, we talk about Caleb Grill. Caleb Grill is a great shooter, can be a great floor spacer, tough off-ball defender, you know, has a lot of tenacity. Iowa State wasn't drawing up action late clock for Caleb Grill, but he was spacing off the ball and shooting a lot. You know, you talk about Tamar Bates. When Tamar first got to IU, there was a lot of chatter before his freshman year, like maybe he can become a three-level guy. Maybe he can become this, you know, all-out scorer for us. 
but like I said, for those who wa- us who watched him and really scouted him for a couple of years, we we bought him more as a three and D type guy who would eventually develop playing off the sh- playing off the kick. I don't think any of us necessarily thought three level scorer for him. We thought, you know, this guy can become a really really tough on ball defender who's going to make shots for you. But even at I, but even at Indiana, when Indiana needed a bucket, it was, you know, Xavier Johnson, it was Jalen Hutchinson, it was Trace Jackson. Those are the guys who were getting the touches to go make plays. You know, Connor Vanover played with Max freaking Asmus at Oral Roberts. Yeah. When Oral Roberts needed a bucket, you know who was going to get it? Max Asmus or even like Isaiah Briscoe or I, you know, the Kansas transfer whose name I'm botching. But two on ball guards were going to get it. The four newcomers, none of these guys were relied upon to be on ball creators who you could make as a focal point of your offense. I will get some people would say, well, what does it matter? Mosley didn't even play last year. Mosley wasn't available. Maybe it was going to be – Isaiah Mosley had three years of being a top scouting reports. Every place he went, everybody knew who the ball was going to. Isaiah Mosley was one of the best PNR scorers in the country, one of the best isolation scorers in the country, one of the best pull-up shooters in the country. Even if he's not playing a lot last year, we still have three years, 100 games plus of evidence, even against really good Ken Palm teams, that Isaiah Mosley was a guy you could put in a high ball screen and he can go get you a bucket. Or you could put him in a split or a spread ball screen and he can go create for somebody else. That is not, that is foreclosed now. That is not an option. You're not worrying about, oh, is he available? He's not available. And there's not a guy on this roster that I think right now possesses that kind of skill set. Again, it's June. Maybe a guy emerges. I wrote that today. There's always time they can figure out how this offense is going to work. But right now, Missouri doesn't have a guy that it can say, we're going to just run action and let you go do what you do and go get us a bucket. You know, Dennis Gates will tell you the first 10 seconds is to attack. The last 10 is for your playmaker. That's who you give the ball to. Last year it was Kobe. It could have been Zay this year. If you're really candid and you really look at this roster, do they have that right now? And that's not a slight to other guys. That's just looking at the totality of their careers. They just don't have the same body of work that Isaiah Mosley would have had in that regard. That's what they're asking right now. Yeah. A lot of lot of really good players. Uh, love the depth. Love the mixing and matching. Love the diversity here. Yes. <laughs> they're 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 gonna have to go about it with a lot of uh, a lot of their depth. I mean, I I really I do think this is a roster where you know Gates is is gonna be playing you know ten possibly even eleven guys uh, a night, and if he's doing that, you know then it, it could be one of these things with all right maybe you ride a little bit of a hot hand. But I mean, the one the one thing when you kind of talk about like, all right, like you can throw the ball to, to to Kobe Brown, and you can you know put him in a position where he can kind of go make a play for him that was kind of like you know at the elbow, um, you know with with Zay it was a guy who could get the ball in the wing, could get the ball out out front, uh, and get a ball screen and 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 look to kind of go make a play. But there's, I mean if you're just looking at the guards, like everybody, like you were kind of pointing out, like, um, you know, Bates is a guy who I, I 
think is is good if he's able to kind of catch and rip um but not really a guy who you want squaring up a defender um and i think like that's the thing that that kobe had that's the thing that mosley had uh that's the thing that the guys in this roster don't really have right now um you know they've got several guys who i think can catch and rip yeah and but it, yeah <laughs> it's and and this is the thing too like there are you know we talk a lot about teams at the top of the conference here alabama could hit you with their depth but you know what they did when they needed a bucket Brandon Miller. You know, you could talk about Tennessee, you know, being kind of a collective enterprise, but you know what they would do? High ball screen for Zakai Ziegler and let that guy go to work. Arkansas, you know, even without Nick Smith available, it was, let's just go see what Ricky Counts can do for us. Let's get Anthony Black in a side ball screen, see if he can break down a dribbler and get a dump off. Do you have a guy who can win one-on-one right now? That's what it is. Like, top teams in this league have depth they've got talent up and down the roster but they also have one guy where you can come down and say screw it just chuck the ball to that guy and let him go Missouri doesn't have that and that's not to say that that's going to doom this roster or it's going to doom this team but you know it, it is nice to have that you know Kobe played within the collective structure but he was still an alpha when he needed to be yeah it's, it's, it's a safety blanket yeah yeah, and I think like Missouri is going to find a way to score points because you know I think at this point we we know Dennis Gates is going to run a, the, the kind of offense that is going to generate points, you know. But having that safety blanket is is something that a lot of coaches like having, um, you know, because sometimes your offensive actions don't generate the shot that you want. They got them a win over Utah State. That's yeah. what got them there. They stopped running offense. They ran horn sets, ran four or five ball screens for Kobe and just said, hey, you, take us to the second round. <laughs> That's what it was. It was they ran horn sets, which had been around since the 1990s. It wasn't like rena- like innovative stuff. It was our dude is better than your dude from the elbow. Yeah. And that's why Missouri won its first NCAA tournament game in a decade. It wasn't this, you know, kumbaya collaborative approach it was screw it kobe just go get it done for us and that's fine like i can appreciate dennis's offense and his you know kind of egalitarian spirit there but sometimes you just need a dude to go make a play do they have that right now we'll see again june things can change but we'll see they're also trying to recruit two dudes like that out of the portal so if you're pursuing that, missed on both. Um, so you're referring to uh, Caleb Love and referring to Matt Matthew Cleveland. Um, so, do you think that the Missouri roster is complete at this point? Yeah, I would say it is. I mean, they could. They have one. I'm going to call it nil spot left, but you know, functionally, you can roll out an eight or nine man rotation right now. You're probably two to three deep at every spot. Would you like to have an alpha in that 15th slot? Yeah, but there's nobody on the market right now. The portal is, you know, shuttered. All the guy, you know, once we get to this week, 
you know, one, you know, I think when Arthur Kaluma went off the board, that pretty much shut down the wing market. So they've also, they're also in the second week of voluntary workouts right now. So you bring someone in this late, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to be an impact piece. So I would think that they're pretty much done and just going to focus getting through the summer. Uh, I, I just don't, it's a supply issue. And also at some point your roster is your roster and you got to go roll with what you got. And this is not a bad roster. I think, you know, if I had to put, I'm doing the SEC exit survey right now. This is not like a roster that I would say is like going to be that I would have really fighting to get out of the bottom four. It's one that I think is going to be between like fifth and 10th. It's going to be squarely in the middle of the league right now. If I had to guess, it's going to come down to like we always say, what happens in two or three close games that, that change the outcome. We saw that with the roster last year three four close wins. And that's the difference between double buy and sitting in the eight, nine game. So I don't think this is a team that's doomed. I don't think this is something where people should be, you know, as panicked as they were after Zoe's, you know, retrofitting a couple of years ago. It's just understanding that not having a guy like Mosley and not having a guy like Brown is kind of one of those separator things between being, you know, maybe a team that's in the mix for a double buy versus really having to fight and scrap and claw in the middle of the middle of the SEC table. But not worth panicking over, but important to factor it in as we move into the preseason and through the summer. Yeah, and uh, at, at this point, you know, uh, Dennis Gates has sort of shown um, that at the very least they're going to be competitive. Um, and I think having a little bit more depth on the roster should hopefully kind of help them um, kind of round out the edges a little bit. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so I think we, we both sort of feel the roster is done. Uh, the summer, though, is not uh, over yet. Um, we are just at the beginning of, you know, this, this summer of watching uh, the 2024 recruits. Uh, saying who maybe some of the priorities for 2025 uh, may emerge. Um, <laughs> it's hard to imagine. Uh, but yeah, so uh, many, many, many of their uh, top post targets have come off the board. Um, oh. and, and quickly, there are still some some guys that are a little bit, little bit lower rated um, that they have offers out to and, and have been uh, connected with. Uh, so there's that, um, the, you know, the bowl announcement is something that I think we were, um, we were surprised to happen all this fast, yeah. but it never really felt like Missouri pushed all the chips in. Yeah. Like, they never really felt like they were fully committed to bowl the way that I think maybe a lot of people had uh, assumed they might be considering the proximity, uh, you know, of him kind of being a St. Louis kid. And and for those that don't know, I mean, he's a immigrant from uh, South, South Sudan, Sudan and uh, was living with uh, Marcus Wilson. Wilson is a uh, former assistant coach at SLU. Um, and last season was working at Evansville, which is his alma mater. He was, uh, he's a hall of fame level yeah, basketball player at Evansville. Um, and, and, and by all accounts, a really terrific guy. Um, 
And so uh, he has sort of, you know, played the role of his mentor and, and helping, you know, bowl, uh, you know, get to St. Louis, he attended CBC, uh, moved on to Sunrise Christian, uh, and now he's going to take his talents to Gainesville. Um, it leaves Missouri in a little bit of a spot because, you know, even though I, I, I think it's fair to say that we know Dennis Gates wants a level of skill uh, with every position on the floor. However, uh, you also need to fill spots and there's no, I mean, there's no denying the length, the athleticism, the fluidity that bull brings at seven foot three. Uh, and I feel like that's something that you can find useful, even if the offensive skill isn't quite uh, where you want it. Yeah, this is, this was sort of a weird, not weird, but I, Missouri had really honed in on, I think, four bigs. This class, they hosted four bigs, but. Uh, John Bull was the first one they had on campus, you know, last September. They brought in James Brown a couple of weeks later, a big out of Chicago. Uh, Peyton Marshall, an Atlanta native and four-star prospect, came in in October. Um, but Jaron Stevenson has always been, I think, kind of the one that, you know, if you were to, like, put together a composite of the big that this staff wants, it's Jaron Stevenson. Um, Stevenson was offered last June. Um, Mizzou was supposed to get him on campus, I think, for the Alabama game, but he backed out of that in late January. Got on campus in March, and, you know, Missouri was in the mix of four or five programs that you usually heard around him, which was... But usually it was UNC, Georgetown, Missouri. Like, UVA moved in for a little bit there. Bama sort of swapped in spots there. But it's been four to five programs, but... Stevenson is a guy who grew up 15 minutes from the UNC campus. He's been there since he was a freshman. His mother is an alumni. His mother is an alum who played on NCAA tournament teams uh, at UNC. So it was always sort of like, if you were going to dig him out, that's a, that's a, I would argue that's probably the biggest recruiting win. Like MPJ would obviously be there, but if you considered circumstances, like of where a kid was to pull a kid basically out of Chapel Hill. His mom's an alum would have been just an epic recruiting upset. He got him on campus. They took their shot, but coming out of that visit with Stevenson, you didn't hear like a lot of real, like, Oh man, Missouri's deep in the cut. Now they are right there. They're right there. Once we got to grassroots season, it was look at UVA making him push. He's going to Alabama for a visit. It just became like one of those deals where you 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 prioritized him, you got him on campus, and then you know it became more of an Alabama and UNC race because both of those were going to be open to reclassifying. Meanwhile, right. meanwhile, meanwhile is, in the back, there's meanwhile in the back, there's John Bull, right? And it always felt like. You know, Bull spoke always, always spoke highly of Dennis Gates. There was a respect there for for the staff, but you could, but I, you know, it's easy to see, you know, where the staff's preferences were, because Jaron Stevenson is more of a stretch playmaking five, a lot of skill on offense, can play out in space, can he can legitimately catch rip and go, he can push off the miss, really fits a lot of what the staff wants to do offensively. John Bull's development has been flipped. 
you know, they, he is, you know, learned how to defend first, finish at the rim. And now is when his offensive development's going to begin. Now, this is when I think you're going to start seeing you know, at Sunrise and with Mocan and going into his freshman year of college. That's when they're going to start trying to put the offensive pieces together. And so, realistically, if you were looking for an impact guy early, it was Stevenson. But if you were willing to do what Florida is going to be willing to do, which is invest some patience in Bowl and really, you know, buy into his development there, then I think you were, and you could put a plan together for him and demonstrate that, then you were going to win this recruitment. And I think it's worth wondering if Missouri prioritized Stevenson, its preference for offensive skill didn't quite lead to maybe the fullest plan for Bowl. Florida moves in. Like, Florida only moved in this spring and just closed it down really, really quickly. So I, I think that those those are things to consider in the back here is, you know, preferences for bigs, the way Missouri sort of pursued its board was, you know, Jaron Stevenson and John Bull were both available all winter, and they really made a push after Jaron Stevenson. Florida came in. John Bull's available. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and with Stevenson, you know, there's like the, you know, the, the talk of whether or not he's going to reclassify. Uh, you know, it, it looks like Alabama's going to get uh, Grant Nelson, who, um, you know, that may impact Stevenson's, uh, you know, po- uh, I guess possible landing. Uh, in Alabama, but you know, I th- it does seem to be Alabama and North Carolina, and everybody else is is in uh, mm-hmm. a distant trailing position. Yeah. Um. So what I mean, what does that necessarily mean for the rest of the board? I mean, we've talked a lot about uh, you know Dallas Thomas and uh, Honor Botang. Um, we've talked about uh, Marcus Allen. Um, you know, guys that are at the top of the board, but also guys that aren't necessarily bigs, like bigs. And the, you know, the staff needs bigs. <laughs> uh, you know, we, I do think that if the, the progression of, you know, uh, of Butler and, and Pierce and those guys are able to step in as sophomores, uh, and play larger roles then you know, you, you, you have something, but you know, like also you shouldn't be expecting, uh, you know, Jordan Butler to be playing, you know, 35 minutes a night as a, as a sophomore. Um, you need something else in there with him. You need, uh, and, and one of the reasons that I could sort of like bowl is, you know, those two guys are very sort of different. The complimentary pieces. Yeah. Like Butler is, and, and you can play those guys with each other. Uh, but Butler is uh, is a little bit more of what Missouri is looking for. He's a little bit more of a skilled guy. He can shoot the ball. Uh, he can stretch the floor. He can, you know, he's going to be able to do some pick and pop and stuff like that. Um, you know, and and so I I just feel like if you have a guy who's you know seven three and and can move and really the way that he you know he plays, you can see him defending farther away from the rim and actually holding his own. It seems to me like the right kind of fit if you can get him on campus and develop the skill, uh, but not Missouri's problem anymore. Um, and then I also think like you can't necessarily ignore the fact that 
it's been you know rumored that wherever uh, you know Marcus Wilson was headed, that John Bowl was going to follow. We'll yeah. see. Uh, Wilson did leave Evansville. Um, I expect movement sometime in the next two weeks on that front. Like clarity yeah. on what's going to happen with Wilson in the next two weeks. I so he, if he, I mean, if he ends up in Gainesville, then I think it's pretty clear that like they were willing to kind of take take him on in, in that in any kind of role, whatever that role may be. Um, and Marcus is qualified for that. Marcus is qualified, he, right? Yeah, I, I don't. And I just want to say, I'm not saying that. I just want to get that out there. Yeah, we 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 did we did joke a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, th- this isn't like hiring Michael Porter Jr.'s dad. Um, and no disrespect to Michael Porter Sr. Uh, Michael Porter Sr. did not have experience coaching college basketball. And he was hired on at Washington. He was really good friends with Lorenzo Romar, uh, and he was hired on as a as an assistant at Washington. Um, Missouri then turned around and hired him, and it was because of his son. Um, there is a Marcus, Marcus, Marcus has had a track record before this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he's. He is a he, he was already a great basketball player. He's been involved in the game of basketball for years. He's done things at all different levels. Um, I don't think he's ever had a high major assistant job, but he was at SLU for a while, and uh, and he was uh, like one of the top assistants at Evansville last year. Yeah. Um, so like you know he knows he knows the 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 job, and and we also don't even know like what sort of position if if he ends up at Florida. I would just expect at the very least to be for him to have some some kind of job that's closer to Gainesville um, because I, I think that relationship for him and for John is important. And to be clear, Marcus adopted John. Like, that took him three attempts to get him over here. He's adopted him. Like, he lives with their family. He's with their family. He's part of their family. You know, and and it's, it's that relationship's going to outlast his basketball career, too. So I think that's you know, something that that's to be factored in here was that John was in basically Wichita, Kansas last year. Marcus's family's in St. Louis, and then Marcus was in Evansville. So if you can get everybody back together, I think that's going to be, you know, a consideration if he winds up in Gainesville. And the other side of the fence here is, you know, if that's something that you have to consider, it, it in the defense of you know Dennis Gates, that's something you have to consider. Is do we? if we want to have Marcus in this role, is that a move we would want to make as a program? You know, I think it's it's different if you feel like this is just a recruitment that's normal there. But if that's a factor that's in there is, you know, the ability to have everyone together, I think that, but it means taking someone on your staff, that's a certain angle that I think, you know, has to, and a variable that's different than a lot of other recruitments. So I will say that that, you know, in defense of Gates' staff, they've got, if they had to weigh that into it too, that's a factor. So we'll we'll see, you know, where Marcus ultimately ends up. But I don't think you can discount that either. Um, as for the rest of the board, yeah, um, James Brown came off uh, in early January. Uh, he committed North Carolina. Has slipped quite has slipped about forty spots in the composite rating. Uh, Peyton Marshall committed to Auburn, but is decommitted. There was some scuttle after he decommitted that, you know, maybe that might open up kind of a mad dash for him. And Alan Flanagan, who recruited him to Auburn, is at Ole Miss now. And he took a visit to Ole Miss. 
uh, the first weekend of June, and there are already some crystal ball predictions coming in that he's going to wind up in Oxford. So yeah. that looks like an Auburn Ole Miss battle. Um, Bull is off the board to Florida now. Stevenson is an Alabama UNC battle. So all four guys that you hosted last fall, none appear that they will make it here. And there's a world where if Stevenson does commit to Alabama, three of them are in the SEC and not at your campus, which is, that'll drive a man to drink if that happened. But um, like I said, there are two bigs that are on the board. You know, honestly, I have not watched enough of Common Mocker or, or Cholmerchot to sort of comment on them. I just know that they have offers. They were offered this spring, or Chol was offered this spring, and Common was offered in the winter. But those are two bigs that are on the board. Otherwise, the names to watch, probably Marcus Allen, probably Dallas Thomas, and Honor Boateng. Those are probably the three I would focus on right now as as the guys. Um I we love T.O. Barrett. We think he's a really he's been a fast riser up boards. But T.O. took a visit to uh, Tulsa last weekend. We'll see. Yeah. If, you know, we'll see if T.O. is a guy that they like at the combo guard spot. Uh, Quinn Pang uh, visited with Nas Cunningham last fall. I can't really or I haven't picked up. You know that that's really a factor at the hybrid spot. I think that they would prefer. Dallas Thomas or Jordan McCollum at the four, at that stretch four spot. Um, Travis Perry took an unofficial visit um, to Missouri, but you don't really see Missouri deeply mentioned there. For him, he's a combo guard out of uh, Lyon County, Kentucky. Uh, T.J. Williams, a point guard out of Wichita, out of Wichita and at Wichita Heights, uh, took an unofficial visit in February. Um, but again, a guy just on the outside of the composite top one fifty, but. Again, as we get ready to move this month, what is Marcus Allen doing? What is Dallas Thomas doing? What is Honor Butang doing? Those are the three that I would circle for folks to watch as we uh, enter the closing stretch of the, of the cycle. It could still be a really good recruiting class. It just won't have a featured, uh, highly rated big man. No, it will not. It will not. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you could do a lot worse than uh, any of the three, uh, the you know, the guys that we're sort of watching closely and what they do. Um, you know, I, you and I both love Boateng. Um I've like, I've really kind of come around on on Slim Thomas. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think we talked about him a little bit in the last pod. Uh, he's he's like he's become like one of my favorite guys. I just think he's you know kind of fits that Trent Pierce mold. Who, I think anybody that listened to us last year around this time knows uh, how excited I was for Trent Pierce. Um, and still am, Matt. I still yeah, am excited yeah. about Trent Pierce uh, and, and his future, hopefully uh, all of the future at Missouri. Um, well, that's, that's all I've got. Uh, we have, we are, we are hitting mid June. We're recording this June twelfth. Um, it is it is that time where things are moving a little bit slower. Hopefully, that didn't really happen the last uh, last week that we were off, but but that's sort of true for most of the time. Anything else that you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, no, just that uh, it's volunteer workout season. We're going to see fun videos of drills 
uh, and that type of stuff. I hope Dennis again shares some video of the type of drill and skill work they're doing. It's always just great to see what the staff is doing, at least in terms of the skill side there, always enlightening. So hopefully that content continues to roll out. Um, only personal plug is next week. I'll have the SEC exit survey done. Um, that is a labor of love for us both. Tracking, you track pretty much the guys who leave rosters. I track the transfers. We put them all together. We figure out what returning production every team will have. And then we write about 300 words on each of the reset rosters. And that is a behemoth piece, but it's really, really good, I think, for us to see and for readers to see just sort of what the lay of the land is. And it's a nice tee up for what you do in the fall with season previews, but a lot of movement. It's easy for us to get fixated on what Missouri has done alone. The exit survey really is sort of a nice comprehensive look at what every SEC program has done in the spring. And hopefully um, it, it gives you some reference as you move through the summer and you begin to see preseason top 25s or you begin to see mags come out. You can come back and go, okay, yeah, this is what the roster movement looked like. So that will be coming next week. Well, uh, so thank you everyone for tuning in um, to this last episode of Dive Cuts and Rock M Radio. Uh, we are a proud partner of the Fans First Sports Network. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more, just like it being directly into your personal device, you can just click on the subscribe button below. You can also find this podcast through the Apple Podcasts app for iPhone, the Google Podcasts app for Android, or whatever app you listen to your favorite podcast. Uh, you can find us, uh, Rock and Radio, on Spotify as well, if you're a Spotify subscriber and listen to your pods there. Uh, and consequently, if you like other sports, uh, Fans First Sports Network does have a whole network of the other sports uh, podcasts and and those guys are doing great uh, work. If you're into baseball, football, uh, soccer, um, hockey, NBA, it's all available, Matt. It's all available on Fan First Sports Network. Uh, so you can follow him uh, at Matt J. Harris 85 on Twitter. You can follow me at Sam T. Stelling. Um, and we'll be back probably in a couple weeks. Um, and and we'll, we'll talk more uh, more Mizzou basketball, more dive cuts. And until then, thank you for tuning in.